0: I'm Greg Burrard, and welcome to my podcast on living a full life. It's become my mission to live an amazing life, to be the best version of myself that I can be, and to inspire others to be the best versions of themselves, and to create the lives that they want to live. This podcast is a narrative of my own personal journey, along with rich and meaningful conversations with truly successful people, exploring how to build great wealth while maintaining balance for family, love, health, parenting, purpose, and passion. So please join me. Let's take this journey together to uncover what it really means to live a full life. Today's conversation is with Luke Chittick. Luke has been working in the recovery field since two thousand and nine, and when he started as a counselor at Beit Teshuva, which is one of the largest nonprofit residential treatment facilities in the nation. Two thousand twelve, Luke joined Transcend Recovery Community as a program director. And then in 2015, along with the COO of Transcend, they created and implemented a comprehensive recovery curriculum for a new sober living called The Verve, with particular attention to structure necessary, therapeutic programming, and accountability required for early stages of recovery. In 2016, sparked by his desire to return to more clinically focused and direct client care, Luke joined Patrick Hart Consultants as a recovery consultant, which eventually led to the courageous launch of his own business called 10 West Recovery, um, which is a uh, which provides ranges of services that include recovery coaching, case management, and sober companioning. Uh, Luke has extensive experience with clients suffering from substance abuse, anxiety, and psychotic disorders. He is a certified field model crisis interventionist, holds a BA in communications from the University of Massachusetts Amherst, and himself has been sober since January of 2009. We get into a lot of things in this conversation. Obviously, addiction and sobriety are a big part of Luke's life and his life story to this point. We talk about all kinds of things from his the anxiety and depression that his mother dealt with to the sudden and tragic loss of his his big brother and, and hero. We talk about uh, the failures of his, his first marriage. We talk about the launching of his new business and how... How challenging that was for him, and also how successful he's been in this—not just in business, but in his transformation. Luke has just such a great outlook on life. My this this conversation was so inspiring to me, not just because of the, the sort of openness with which Luke discusses uh, both the highs and the lows, but the ease and the understanding and the clarity that Luke has and shares regarding his own mindset around failure. And how we don't necessarily learn so much from our successes, but we learn so much from our failures if we allow them to, to be learning experiences for us. This conversation just ranges all, all it goes, it, it runs a sort of gamut, um, but it is just a, a testament not only to Luke, but to this idea of living a full life and that it doesn't matter how you, how you do it, transformation can exist anywhere you can create the life you want from either the most scarce environments to the most abundant environments. And I mean, Luke is just a, a a shining example of of creating a full life and overcoming just incredibly difficult and challenging obstacles. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Without further delay, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Luke Chittick. Luke, thanks for coming on the show.
1: I, you know, I I appreciate you uh, appreciate you having me, man. This is great. And you know what? I I forgot. I know we spoke just briefly yesterday, but you just had a birthday.
0: I did. Happy birthday! Thank you. Just turned forty. Just turned forty. We had a uh, we had a quarantine birthday bash. Really, a birthday bash. My wife went all out. We had we did like a staycation where we visited. I was in Mexico on Monday. <laughs> we had like you know pinata all that stuff. I was in. Hawaii on Tuesday, we had fire dancer and a hula dancer in my backyard and everything was decorated with like, you know, Aloha, I was wearing a, you know, lame Hawaiian shirt. And and then on my birthday, we had, uh, Mastro's brought in and my brother-in-law and, uh, and brother, brother brother-in-law's girlfriend who actually, you know, I found out, uh, Nicole Goodman from Beit Shuva. Oh
1: yeah. Right on.
0: (laughs) Yeah. She, they were our servers that night and then we we watched uh we did an outside movie where we sat um, my wife did this little canopy and we sat outside we rented a little movie screen and we watched uh some lame movie that we we have you know kind of watched for for years over and over yeah. and over again and that was my birthday week it was uh, like a whole week long
1: <laughs> did you visit any other countries
0: that was it we kind of got tired after three days of visiting countries right <laughs> would
1: you like better why it was or? jet
0: lag it was the jet lag
1: the jet lag gotcha
0: yeah i you know i liked it all it was by Thursday, we were just like, let's just have another nice dinner and not worry about any more decorations <laughs> and yeah. and themes. But um, yeah, I had this idea a couple of years ago of doing staycations, a themed staycation. Of course, this was prior to COVID, where we would go, like say, uh, we're going to Italy this week. We'd stay home. We'd have charcuterie in the backyard. <laughs> we'd go out to like really nice, although they don't call it charcuterie in, in Italy. They call it something else. That's a French word, right? So, so you, you have, um, you'd have your, your meats and cheeses and then you'd go out at night to some fancy new restaurants in Los Angeles and being in LA, it makes it easier to, to explore a lot more options.
1: 40 is a big number.
0: So they say. (laughs) I will turn 40 this January. Is, are you, are you feeling any, any angst about it? Well, so with me, it's a little, maybe not
1: just with me, but I, I, there's, there's a difference in that. So you know, my teens are teens, right? You're going through puberty. There's all kinds of weird stuff happening. And so that's what it is. My 20s were an utter shit show, right? I mean, I was, and we'll get into a little bit of my story, but, you know, just drugs and and alcohol and just, I was depressed and just absolute horrid, right? And in my 30s, you know, I start turning a corner. Things are kind of looking a little bit better. You know, I get sober and, you know, but I I did spend a good part of my 30s in an unhappy marriage that I just feels just recently got out of uh, two years ago. And uh, so I'm at a point now where I'm like, man, I'm like looking forward to turning 40. Like my 40s, like that's going to be like the, you know, like the starting point, like that's going to be my decade. Um, So I'm like pumped about it, you know, and, and growing older. So anyway I don't know where
0: you where you feel in terms of uh, the 40s but I'm I'm right there with you I mean I didn't I haven't had the life that you've that you've lived mine is a little bit more um, I don't even know what you would call it it's just sheltered uh, a lot less exciting <laughs> in terms of you know the ups and downs and things like that but I've come to the same it's funny because we've experienced very different lives I think but I think we're both in a very similar place where we're, we're we're experiencing transformation now. That's part of what this podcast yeah. is all about, right? And I just, you know, some of my friends are really having a hard time with forty, and me, it's like, let's bring it on. I am, I'm so stoked about about not only the next decade, but just the rest of my life. I'm just, I'm, yeah, I'm in that spot right now. I'm controlling, and I'm, I feel good about it. So, I think you
1: know what you're talking about is, is, and I think you and I are both,
0: you know, we're we're, we're meeting
1: in that same place of having this. I guess what would you call a like a growth mindset, right? Where uh, which is, is is exciting, it's thrilling, it's you, you know what I mean, like um, this idea of of just wanting to expand and you know get more creative and better in certain areas of our lives, you know, and and so you know obviously that's each day moving. It's a forward kind of way of thinking um, as opposed to like. I wish it was the good old days or, you know, back, you know, like, no, it's like, I, yeah, that, that was what it was. And I'm so looking forward to
0: what's in store. Like, and I feel like there's so much left to do. Sure. I, there sure is. I mean, there's no no doubt. And I think uh, we'll, we'll get into sort of where you are now and, and we'll kind of walk through, sure. through the jungle. And, but I actually want to start with, I want to ask you about while i was doing a little bit of research and also figuring out in ways you know the s- 6 degrees of separation and how we we connect <laughs> um, i discovered that you had a career maybe it's still going i don't know in in acting and <laughs> i saw a couple of things For, first of all i found that you're you're apparently the the STD ferry I, I am i'm am. <laughs> very much so. from there very proud of my work you have this really weird uh, connection For some reason, online maybe it's not even really a connection, but it just you pops up over and over again with Darla Han. Yes. How do you know Darla? I don't. I just I when I did a little search, like it just you are connected with her for some reason online. You've done some maybe acting things with her. Yeah, we did uh, uh, an acting. We were in acting classes together.
1: Do you you know
0: her or you just? I don't. Okay. I don't, I was just sort of like looking around. I just didn't know if there was a connection, if it would still exist or if it was just like acting classes together. Yeah. Yeah. Are you still acting? Is that something that that's still important in your life or is that something that you've, you've left behind now?
1: No, no, I'm not anymore. It it really, it served an amazing purpose in my life, you know, and I'm grateful for it and, and everything that I got from it. And uh, I, you know, I have my little, you know, I don't even know if it's 15 seconds, but you know, it's like maybe a second of fame as my amazing role as the STD fairy, which I got to do three, uh, three different commercial spots for. Um, but, uh, but no, I, uh, I guess this must've been maybe seven years ago. I, I, I kind of realized that what I really wanted to do was work more with, with people that are struggling with substance abuse disorders and mental health disorders. And when I kind of realized that that was what I felt really was my calling, I had no problem just kind of turning in
0: the, um, turning in, you know, just not doing
1: the acting thing anymore.
0: And what, what ways you, you sort of said that it, that you're grateful for the ways that it served you. Can you tell us a little bit about what ways it, acting served you or, or that just maybe, maybe being creative served you. Maybe that's,
1: well, so I, I got sober in in 2008 or 2009, beginning of 2009 and uh, probably about six months in, I mean, I, I was really down, right? I mean, it was a really difficult process and uh, my, I mean, I just had no kind of like confidence in in myself and my ego is was kind of non-existent you know um and not in a good way i mean like i literally just i was struggling and when it was suggested that i get into something that i kind of you know have had some passions or thoughts about you know in the past and in film and acting and things like that had been something that i had wanted to do but never really did so you know i, I got into that and it, it really helped me get my kind of confidence back to get my inspiration back Mm. kind of almost get like some (laughs) some sort of like vitality back in my life so that's what i mean that it really served a a, just a wonderful purpose in my life um and i'm just so grateful that i did it and i loved every bit of it you know um but uh you know i I don't believe it's it's what i'm meant to be doing and and i'm okay with that you know
0: yeah, that's amazing. It's so funny because most people would not have that that experience from acting. They don't. Generally, it tears you down as opposed to builds you up. <laughs> sure. Especially in Los, especially living in Los Angeles, you know the the rejection and the, the sort of difficulties of it. It's amazing that you had that kind of experience, and it probably probably goes to the type of person that you are and are and are still becoming. Um, and and we're gonna get into that. Yeah, no, so, and I appreciate that.
1: I, I, what I would say is, it was interesting. Like I remember. You know, before that, I I was living in, in just not only just riddled with substance abuse, but I was just living in so much fear and and like, yeah. you know, I'm not doing anything with my life. I'm afraid to take risks and stuff like that. So when I got into the acting, it was kind of like, oh, Luke, don't you think that's going to be tough? Like you're just it's constant rejection. And I, I was sort of like, yeah, but I never took the step to even be in a position to get rejected. So I was kind of like, I was pumped and I was like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm in it. Like I'm actually doing it. Like, yeah, I'm getting rejected. I'm not getting called back, but I had spent years just kind of wondering what it would be like, you know? Mm-hmm. To, yeah. And then there were times when I would get booked on things and, uh, they would be small stuff. Right. And I remember one of them was this, was a show that was really popular in, in, or is really popular in Japan. And so there was a a scene that I guess or an episode that took place here in the United States. And so I got to play a gangster. Right. And I had like leather jacket on and, you know, they made me look all tough. I didn't have any lines, you know what I mean? But like, we were on this really cool like set and like, you know, I I was just in heaven, but the guys that were with me that all got booked, you know, casted the same thing I did. I could just hear them in between takes complaining like oh this is I hate this. So my whole day is wasted. I'm just having to kind of be in the background and I'm sitting there having the time of my life. Like this is the coolest thing. Look at the guns I get to hold and you know I was just, I was all fired up. So but I I hear what you're saying and I know that a lot of people would say that this town can kind of eat you alive and uh it is a a lot of rejection and a lot of work goes into just constantly then being rejected every day. So
0: do you I mean, it's clear that that sort of perspective comes from a place of—I mean, y- you were at a low place. Most things above that are going to be enjoyable and high, right? It's going to be a a fun spot to to be in. Is that something that's sort of continued over the years since you got sober? Do you still have that kind of perspective with new things that you do? Just just a, an excitement—is that sort of part of part of your transformation?
1: Uh, you know, I wish I could say yes that that's sort of carried with me at this sort of consistent pace. But no, I I, I think that I found it more so in those first three years uh, of me being sober there, there was definitely, I worked a lot on, you know, this idea of gratitude and and having a really strong kind of gratitude program, if you will. And uh, it's really easy to sort of fall out of that, you know, and Mm -hmm. today I, I still, I, you know, I work towards being in, you know, sort of the, the mindset of, of being grateful for things, um, because I think that's just key. That's so important in any aspect of life to come at it from a place of gratitude is huge. And it is work, though. I mean, it doesn't just naturally kind of easily come. And certainly, as things have gotten better, and there's new levels of what the new norm is, you know, sometimes I forget like, wow, I used to be grateful when I could afford to buy the fancy trail mix at Ralph's, you know what I mean? Like, and that, you know, like it's the little things and you don't realize like in a short period of time, just kind of how far you come And It's like,
0: wow, like I, I could be so grateful for some of the little things I want to get back to that. Okay. We're, we're going to go, we're going to go there. And that's sort of one of the things I know we, we spoke about yesterday just briefly that, I want to talk about the sort of default programming and you know how how we sort of think about that. But let's take a step back a little bit, and if we can, let's talk about your childhood a little bit. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? Yeah, yeah. So I was, I was
1: born in Philadelphia. Was only there for I think the first two years of my life. Lived in uh, uh, Maine for uh, a, a few years when I was very young, and then moved back to Pennsylvania, but not to philadelphia lived in allentown pennsylvania there for about four years and then i guess when i was in sixth grade we moved to cambridge massachusetts so kind of the boston area and and that's sort of where i say i did you know the majority of of my growing up
0: what was childhood like in? what, like, what was it like in i guess in massachusetts uh or or we actually let's take a step even back further what what was it like moving around all that much for you was that was that something that was difficult you know, it did kind of suck, especially moving like from
1: Allentown, where I really sort of had established like a good group of friends that I was excited to like go into middle school with and then not, mm-hmm. you know, having to start over. And you know, I think when you're 12, 13, that's like a weird time to be like having to start over with friends. It's already strange, like, you, you know, this whole social scene at that age. So uh, that was definitely probably the, the, the most difficult. Um, in terms of the moves, the other ones I was relatively young enough where I didn't notice it as much. And your brother was older than you or younger than you? Yes, were. my brother uh, six years older than me, and this also is what made the, the move difficult. So when we left Allentown, he had just finished his senior year of of high school, so he went off to college. You know, so it was just me going with my dad and. Interestingly, at that same year, my mom had to take a teaching position in upstate New York. So it was literally just me and my dad that went that first year. It took took my mom a year to find a job closer to where closer to Cambridge. Um, but that was a tough transition.
0: That that year definitely was not was not fun. Your mom lived. She did she come? I mean, how often did she come back during those during that time? I can't remember, but I
1: mean, it was you know. She was a professor in, in college, so mm-hmm. whenever they had any type of, of, of a break. You know, there's like a fall break and then Thanksgiving and then
0: Christmas, and spring break. And um, she would come back during those times. And then, of course, the summer. And what was the sort of relationship like? So your brother's six years older than you. You're you're alone with your dad. What's the sort of I mean, I guess when when you're with when you're together, what's the family dynamic? What does that look like?
1: Yeah. So my mom, she battled with. She battles with, I should say, depression and anxiety. Really tough stuff. I mean, she came from a very broken home, alcoholic parents, abusive, and uh, you know. So at a very young age, I always knew there was something wrong with mom. Right. Mm. My dad, just amazing person, um, and uh, you know, continue to have just an amazing relationship with him. and, And he was very gentle in his ways, and and I think really. It's the type of person that taught me, I think, from a young age, like, hey, slow down and take a moment to appreciate little things in life, which I always appreciated about him. Um, my brother, you know, he he's six years older than me, and, and he really was kind of like my superhero. He was really good athletically. He, you know, definitely had kind of a, a male. Macho is is not the way I'd want to describe him. I'm just losing the word. Masculine. Masculine that in a sense, he, he wasn't just my big brother. He played a fatherly role with me. You know, there was an element around, you know, some of the lessons of, you know, teaching me kind of to be a man. Cause I I wasn't quite getting that completely from my dad. I got a lot of other great things from my dad, but you know, I think there was a part of that, you know, becoming a man that I got from my brother. And I definitely
0: felt very safe with my brother. Your brother goes off to college, has, you know, just, just glancing at the the history there, he, he goes off to college, has a great college career as a football player. He goes on to play professionally, even wins a Super Bowl. Yeah. Can, can you tell us about that story? Can you tell us, were you there? Oh, yeah. How did that go?
1: Oh, God, that was so amazing when that happened, too. And, and, you know, going back to he was my superhero, I mean, you know, there were some pretty uh, amazing things that that he achieved, and I I really do think like I was that I was that younger brother that was like the number one fan of my older brother. You know what I mean? Like my brother's college career was interesting in that you know he redshirted his freshman year, so he didn't you know he didn't play, and then he spent three years for the most part riding the bench in college because of the guys that were ahead of him were just you know I mean were really good. And his senior year, the coach almost Told him like, don't really bother coming back. And uh, you know, my brother wasn't going to hear any of that. He uh, he just worked that much harder and pushed himself that much further, and ended up having you know a good senior year. Started not every game, but played in every single game. A good amount rotated in. He was a defensive lineman, so he's really big. Yeah he uh, he got um, he got picked up by the New York Giants. He was on their practice squad, and then uh, he then got picked up. I guess the, the next year, you know, he was let go of the Giants, but then he made it on the St. Louis um, St. Louis Rams, and this is back in 2000, right when they had Kurt Warner, and, and uh, um, yeah, that was that was quite a year to to, uh, to watch. And he played a good amount. Like, you know, he wasn't practice squad. Like, he was rotating in. And so the, the Super Bowl was in Atlanta. Me and my dad went. And it was just, I mean, it was unbelievable. You know, like, I, I've never had so much fun. And to see him play in the Super Bowl, and it was a really good game, too. Like, if you look back, you know, they won by, like, I think it came it came down to the final play. Um, and they held them at a defensive, uh, you know, right in the, the red zone. So... Uh, that was pretty cool. Was your brother on the field for the last playing?
0: No, no. That would have been even cooler, but no. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to celebrate with him. Is there any, like, w- what happens when the Super Bowl ring gets on his finger? Is there any, uh, can you tell us about that?
1: Well, so after, right, like, right after the game, like, there's a huge party at, you know, the hotel where the players were saying, we get, you know, we get to go. And that was the coolest thing ever, right? You know, and, and that, partied all all night long. There was a ring ceremony that happened later, you know, uh, several months later that I didn't get a chance to go to, but my dad, my dad was able to go. And apparently that was amazing. And my brother wore that ring, I think every day for the first year, Uh, you know, and then he would just put it on for special occasions, but it was, I mean, it's, quite it's quite quite something to see. It's, it's this real gaudy thing too just diamonds everywhere i mean it
0: looks ridiculous <laughs> well, i guess it's a good thing he's he was a big guy right right <laughs> i know because <laughs> all the guys it really like stands out because it's so big yeah if i if i was wearing it it, it um <laughs> it, it might not look so good <laughs> I'm, I'm a small guy so you're you i'm assuming you wanted to play football as well
1: Yeah, and I did. I played in high school and, uh, and I played in college. I didn't, um, I didn't go, he went to a division one, a school. He went to North Carolina and I went to UMass Amherst, which is division one, double a. And, uh, my football career never really got to anywhere close to the level that, that his did. I, I worked really hard, but I, you know, just didn't quite have the success that he had. Can you tell us about that a little bit, your football career? Yeah. I mean, I was, I was good in high school. Um, and I just didn't get, I was not getting recruited heavily. And, uh, even going to UMass Amherst, you know, I didn't get a scholarship to go there. You know, they had me, you know, common basically it was a walk on. And, uh, you know, I redshirted my freshman year, obviously, you know, and, uh, got very little, I didn't get any playing time. I think the next, my next year. And then, uh, um, I did hurt my ankle. Wait, I'm trying to back it up here. Yeah, I did hurt my ankle going into, I think it was my my third year, my fourth year. Um, and that put me out of the season. I played like in the final two games, I think, um, as a result mm-hmm. of that. And then my final year playing, which was my fourth year, you know, I was mostly special teams. You know, I got a couple of snaps in. I was a running back, um, but, you know, very little playing time that i got
0: the is this the is this the period of your life where you start experimenting with alcohol and drugs or is this is yeah. it sort right before this
1: yeah i think you know in high school I was, I was i experimented pretty early with you know alcohol and marijuana and i in high school i kind of became you know like big partier on the weekend right like i would work I'd work hard at school and I'd work hard at football during the week. And then the weekends were, you know, I would just party big. And I thought that was you know, pretty normal. Um, in college, it was kind of the same thing. Although I started to experiment a little bit more with drugs. And when I hurt my ankle and I was, you know, out for most of the season, I mean, I, I basically, uh, I broke it and dislocated it and had to get surgery. And after the surgery, you know, I'm prescribed painkillers, which I really had never had before. And, you know, I, I noticed, you know, as a, you know, the team would be off traveling and I'm home, you know, by myself, you know, while all my friends are out, you know, playing w- whichever, like I would, I would sit, I would drink and I would take painkillers. And I noticed like, wow, this, this feels pretty amazing. And, uh, you know, so, so dabbling with different things, you know, cocaine, you know, mushrooms, you know, you, ecstasy, we all, all that stuff. And then having starting to have some experience with opiates, painkillers. And that's when I was introduced to Oxycontin. And this is, you know, this is back 2000, 2002, I think. And uh, that's when it was starting to get really big, but, uh, but it wasn't quite known as what has now, we all know has become a, a national pandemic. And I didn't really know the the significance in terms of the dangers of it. But uh, yeah, I figured, yeah, it's a pharmaceutical. It can't be that bad and started taking it. And I, I think the first time I took it, I remember having that feeling like, this is how I want to feel for the
0: rest of my life. Mm. Like felt it was that amazing. Did you, at that time, Do were you kind of going down any sort of Mentally, were you telling yourself, like, this is, you know, this is what people do in college, like, no big yeah. deal? Or were you, were you already starting to feel like maybe a little bit out of sort of sorts? So
1: so what happened, that's a really good question. And
0: for the most
1: part, I was justifying it as like a college thing, you know. And But I, you know, if I'm looking at it, I didn't return for my fifth year when you redshirt, you know, you, you waive your eligibility for that first year and you just practice with the team. So I had, I had another year where I could have played football and I decided not to. Mm. Uh, But that last year of college was like, you know, okay, I just have to take classes. (laughs) You know, like you're used to being a student athlete where half of your time is taking classes, the other half, and it goes for a whole year. You're really like committed to like this football program. So I kind of went buck wild my, my my senior year, and the the drinking and the drug use went through the roof. I think I had some points where I was starting to question, like this might be getting a little out of hand, but it's probably just a college thing. That was sort of the mindset. Was I was aware that it was getting a little bit, you know, messy, but this is probably a college thing.
0: Right. You're when you're when you're out of here, you'll, you'll, you will get a job, you'll clean up, you'll whatever, you know, put on a suit and tie. And-
1: right. And not only that, at this time, my brother uh, had settled in Los Angeles, California, with his wife, Kelsey. And um, I came out to visit them. I'd never been to L.A. before, you know, and I, I come out and this was before my this was before my senior year, my last year in college. And I come out here and I'm like, are you kidding me this is how you this is how you folks over here have been living you know like volleyball on the beach and flip-flops at nice restaurants like this is i, I love this right you know like, and I, I i go back and, and i convince one of my roommates i'm like hey when we graduate we're just gonna load up our cars and drive out to california and we're gonna live there my roommate was like okay you know easy <laughs> sell and uh yeah, I think uh, gra- graduating and thinking, well, not only is this a college thing, I'm going to travel 3,000 miles to start my life in this beautiful, warm, you know, beach town, almost, you know, city. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to eat like quinoa and get super healthy and, you know, a lot of kale. And that was, <laughs> that was sort of the thought, right? Coming out here. You know, it, it really didn't take long for for me to realize that all the problems I was having on the East Coast traveled 3,000 miles. And not only did it catch up to me, I mean, it blew up out here. Uh, it got really, really bad. Uh, you know, the drug use with the, with the opiates in particular got really out of hand. Um, where I'm using every single day, completely dependent on it. I mean... Losing relationships and alienating myself from my family, dabbling you know now with when I can't get the oxycontin to use heroin, and it's just uh, I mean, I am completely strung out at this point.
0: Are you in a relationship at this point or, or are you you single uh, or is this when you're when you married? Yeah, it was tough. I got into a relationship when I
1: sort of first moved out here, and I introduced her to. Uh, Oxycontin, and so we became we you know we definitely became sort of a very toxic relationship where we were both just enabling each other, and I was the source of of introducing her you know to this, and that was that was definitely tough. I mean, what's amazing is I've gotten to sort of repair that relationship, and she's actually doing really well now, and you know, married, settled down, and, and has kids, and but yeah, that that was uh. That was definitely a difficult time.
0: Tell me about rock bottom. Was there a moment that you knew? Was it was somebody did somebody just did you just happen to get lucky and get into bitchuva? Or like what's is there a is there a rock bottom moment where you know it's rock bottom and and you just you're just fed up. You you've got to you know there's there's two choices here.
1: Well, yeah, let me so what I'll say is that I eventually got I, I was just I could not handle being strung out on opiates. So I decided, all right, I'm going to get detoxed from this stuff. And I went and detoxed. And I went to like an outpatient program. And I was 100% committed to, to staying off of uh, opiates. And uh, I was pretty successful at that. But I had no desire to stop drinking. You know, I didn't really care if I was an alcoholic or not. Because the amount of work required to maintain your alcohol, it's, it's a lot easier than having to maintain an opiate addiction. Mm -hmm. You know, because you just go to the grocery store to buy alcohol. Whereas, you know, sometimes with the opiates, it costs more and you got to like search. And uh, anyway, the drinking ended up taking me to even lower bottoms than the opiates did. Mm -hmm. And I went to a couple treatment centers. I got kicked out of those. I went to sober livings. I got kicked out of every single one of those. I was living in my car in some really just grimy areas of LA. I think my brother told me that he, he picked my car up. Uh, I was in Gardena, uh, California, right, right near Compton. Like I had no business being down there. Like, what was I thinking? <laughs> um, and uh, there were several times where I was ending up in the, uh, the ICU for just too much alcohol consumption. Um, you know, one time I had uh, i remember this uh, cause I'll never forget. I had a, blood alcohol level of 0.536, which, I mean, that's, that's like death, right? Like that's not a lot of people can have that high of a blood alcohol and still be alive. You know, and it was just, I was around the clock drinking. I mean, the moment I woke up, I would drink. And when I lost my job as a bartender, go figure, (laughs) um, I was literally drinking. It would be like, I'd be like awake for three hours And and would drink during that time, and then sleep for two hours, awake for three, drink, sleep for two, and that was just twenty-four hours a day in that cycle. And I get to a point where I'm I'm in the ICU again, and my brother was like, "Listen, I'll, I'll help you one last time, but you have to agree to long-term treatment." And it's a place called Beit Shuva, and uh, you know, I think that it would be really good for you. I was like. To what you know, like what language is that? Even? Like, what are you talking about? You know, and he's like, well, "It's a Jewish faith-based program," and I'm like, "But we're not Jewish. Like, they're gonna know. There's no way. How am I gonna get in?" He's like, "No, they take people that aren't Jewish." And and I I'm sitting there in the in the ICU unit, right, and I got like tubes in me. I tell him, "I got to think about that," you know, because he's been like, "I'll help you one more time." you have to agree to go to a long-term program or you can go back to doing whatever you were doing. And I literally, I'm like, you know, with, with tubes of me, I'm like, I got to think about that. <laughs> he leaves and uh, I don't know, probably half a day goes by or, you know, sometime in the evening or at night, I realize like I can't stop on my own and I don't want to keep going back to this. So uh, I'll give it a shot and uh, called him up and you know, made it into Bechu and thank God I went. But to answer your question, you know, and for people listening, like you do hear about people hitting a rock bottom where they know, like, that's it. I, 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 I surrender, you know, like I can't do this anymore. That's not how I experienced it. Even though I, you know, I, I said, all right, you know, I'm willing to try this, Nate. I can't stop. I'll go. I didn't think that I would actually remain sober. You know, mm-hmm. I was ambivalent about the whole process for probably six or seven months, wow. you know, where I was literally like, All right, I'll try this not drinking thing. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but uh,
0: I don't know if it's going to stick. You know? Thank you for sharing that. That's, you know, I I have um, my stepbrother has recovered from Beit Shuvah. One of my closest friends is a recovering alcoholic. And it's hard to kind of directly ask these questions. You're not, you know, maybe you're not sure how open these conversations are. And for most of us who haven't had substance abuse or mental um, health problems or obstacles in our lives, it's it's almost unfathomable. We don't, like, it's 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 hard to understand. And I think it's, it's just so helpful to have these kinds of conversations openly. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that because everyone who is, who hasn't gone to a recovery program talks about rock bottom. And I've, I'm always sort of wishy-washy about that. I don't know what that means, right? Like, is there is there a moment where it's like it just clicks? For my for my good friend, he explained it as there's just this moment where, just in his head, it's like, oh my god, I'm an alcoholic. Like I am. I, there's no way I'm not this person. I've I've got to get myself fixed. But that happened after he went through through a period of um, detox. After he went to a facility for a while, where it, it wasn't like. The moment didn't happen for him to go to the facility. It happened while he was there.
1: So similar. So I would say that because that I had physical rock bottoms, like one of them was, you know, that 0.536 alcohol that that was me in an ICU unit for two weeks, followed by a psych ward for two weeks. And when I was in the psych ward, I was literally out of my mind. I mean, they had to have somebody with me it's called a one-to-one where someone's with me 24 hours a day because I was roaming, I was going into other people's rooms. I mean, I was just in a fog and to remember it's kind of like trying to remember a dream that wasn't enough. I mean, I was drinking two weeks later, you you know, so, so physical rock bottoms, at least in my experience and certainly talking to others are not the thing that, you know, necessarily is going to motivate change. And what I think is what motivates change is sort of a spiritual bottom or some type of realization, like what your stepbrother is describing. Uh, And that doesn't happen on the cusp of like a really bad episode of drinking or using like that can happen when you're completely sober. And I think for me, it was probably, there was a switch that happened around nine months for me, where I started to really have like this level of self forgiveness and clarity around you know, this is who I am and this is part of my journey now. And I want to be a sober person,
0: <laughs> you know, um, but that took a while. My good friend experienced that and was so much had such a smaller experience with substance abuse. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe that has something to do with the sort of time it takes for you to, for it to click. I don't really know. Let me ask you about Beit Shuva. So I never heard of Beit Shuva either and and i am jewish but i had never heard of it ever i had no clue what it was my as i mentioned earlier my my brother-in-law's girlfriend is is nicole who who you who you know from beit shuva from from years ago and when my stepbrother was going in and out of places and having you know he just got kicked out of everything and just kept you know going up and down and had really serious serious problems with with opiates as you did this was at a time where she came into our lives and she got him into Beit Shuva, And it was, and it was just a perfect timing, just kind of like you. It was like, it was like, all right, I'll try this. You know, nothing else has worked. I'll try this. And he got into Beit Shuva, and it changed his life. And I went to um, the gala. They're they're not having the galas anymore, right? Right. Because it's, we're all virtual now, but I went to a gala. It was last year or the year before. Forget what it was. And I was kind of just blown away. I didn't know what to expect. I've been to galas, you know, char- charity, you know, nonprofit galas before. And it's just, you know, big wig, you know, donors hobnobbing with each other and, you know, and <laughs> whatever, you know, a silent auction and all that stuff. But this was like, I was like crying half the time. <laughs> and it was just so emotionally powerful and, and beautiful. And so, can you tell us a little bit about your story at Beit Shuva and what that experience was like? Because I think it's something worth worth mentioning this this organization um yeah
1: yeah no I, I I completely agree you know i I show up there and I mean I am like, what the fuck am I doing in uh, you know a synagogue right <laughs> like, you know to make this story even more interesting, so my father was a Lutheran minister <laughs> I'm really confused, right? You know, I'm like, what, what's going on here? You know, still not quite grasping the idea that that they do let you know what I mean, non-Jewish people in the program. You know, and I'm thinking like I'm gonna get caught. Like they're gonna know I'm
0: not. Like I don't look Jewish. Like, yeah, you're how tall? How tall are you? Like about six foot. You're six feet tall. You're blonde hair, very blonde hair. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are Jews, there are blonde Jews, but, but,
1: you know, and I get there and it's kind of like, you're telling me, you got to wake up at 6 a.m. to study the Torah. And and I'm like, what does that have to do with me getting sober? Like, are you out of your mind? You know, (laughs) what, what is this? But, you know, it really, it really, for me, it, it helped me get humble so much because I remember that whole like Torah study thing of like, why would I study the Torah that early in the morning? I'm not even Jewish. And what does that have to do with me getting sober? And it was kind of very profound when I realized, well, what else am I going to do? <laughs> what else would I be doing with that time? Like, you know, because the only thing at that point I really knew how to do was get messed up, you know, it was to drink. And so I just said, all right, I'll go study this. Torah, yeah, whatever the thing is that you're talking about, <laughs> and uh, you know the community there is what saved me. And interestingly enough, you know there's there's a therapeutic component, you know, clinical, psychic, psychiatric groups, and the spiritual component in the Judaism is what I actually found myself kind of gravitating more towards. And uh, I mean, it really is an an amazing place where they have so many different outlets of things that you can get involved in, you know. And if it's not something they directly offer, they encourage you to, you know, explore it elsewhere. That's that's where the acting thing came into place, right? My counselor was like, "Well, what do you like doing?" (laughs) Of course, I'm like, "I have no idea." Like drinking, (laughs) you know. And uh, he just kind of like, "Well, what was it? Something that you had wanted to do that maybe you didn't?" And it was like. Uh, well acting so he encouraged me to start taking acting classes but they have all kinds of things i learned how to surf there you know they had a, like a surf program
0: that was amazing yeah it's just it's it's a really special and unique place i know the the rabbi there i don't know if he's still a rabbi but i know when last time i i saw it he, he's uh he's an interesting guy he's ready he was um convicted of something he spent time in 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 prison very non-traditional guy the synagogue uh, or the friday services that they have is like a, they have like a rock band and i i've seen somewhere like you know some of the um people in beteshuva are people like aspiring aspiring singers or aspiring rappers or whatever they get up there on stage and they they do their thing and it's just it's sort of um I, I don't know what your thought is but it seems to me and you maybe you kind of you mentioned it a little bit this it's not necessarily the jewish thing so much as this this, this community thing this tight community where everyone seems like they're just supporting each other, but not just in sobriety, but like finding themselves in whatever way makes them, you know, fulfills them.
1: Right. And, and doing it, it coming from a, like a, a real place. And and what I, what I mean by that is when I, when I got there and knowing that it was like this Jewish faith base, I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is going to be all like Kumbaya type stuff. Right. <laughs> and, not knocking kumbaya stuff because that that can be very helpful for people, right? I had been to a treatment program that tried to have that that element and it just, it didn't, I, I had a hard time, you know, I was coming from such a dark place, like I couldn't get there, right? And so when I get to, to Beit Shuva thinking it's going to be that, and then meeting the rabbi and, you know, he comes in and starts dropping F-bombs left and right. And immediately <laughs> I felt comfortable. I was like, oh. Thank God, you know, this is. I can I can gravitate to this. Like, that, this is real, you know, and uh, um, you're 100% right. It's like he one time told me, he, he was just like, look, anyone comes to me and says, you know, such and such will help me get sober. Like, I'm all for it. If you want to jump out of a plane, if you want to, you know, whatever it's going to take, like, I don't care. Whatever's going to make you go straight, I don't care. I'll support it. And, and that's what the whole program does.
0: That's amazing. I know a lot of people sort of fall in love in Beit Shuva. Um, is, is that where you met your, maybe, maybe fall in love is not the right word, but somehow I end up in relationships through, through the program. Is that how you met your ex-wife? That,
1: that is correct. Yes, we, we met. I, I will try and defend us in that we knew each other for nine months before we started dating so in other words most people when they meet in rehab you know they immediately you know you know jump into bed together right her and i didn't we were both we both were just kind of shell-shocked from the experiences we had been through that we were able to at least develop a relationship of one of just you know friends and support and getting to see each other at our worst as a starting point, right? And then get to learn what our bests are. Whereas most relationships, it's the other way around, right? You present your best and then (laughs) as the relationship goes on, like you start showing your worst. And if you can manage to get through that, then you'll be okay. So that was the one kind of cool and unique thing about her and I. And the first few years, uh, we're, we're,
0: you know, we're we're special. Um, Was that, when it's, when you say special, was that relationship sort of helpful when you staying sober like having having both you together or was it was it harder
1: i th- well i th- i think what was helpful is is that in the in the beginning we were both very much uh, well we were getting to learn a lot about ourselves you can learn a lot about yourself in a relationship and we were encouraging each other to kind of expand uh you know our our relationship to spirituality and and our own recovery so I think from that standpoint, yeah, it was helpful for my sobriety being in a relationship with her. Absolutely, and I, and and she would say
0: the same. What made it into, I mean, why did it become a bad marriage? Was it just was it a bad partnership, and just at the end, it wasn't wasn't the right sort of marriage, or what was there some sort of specific problems that that were sort of glaring that that you that were that were challenging for you? Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, one thing, and I really want to try and make sure that I'm, I'm saying things that my ex-wife would not disagree with, right? So she, she, you know, she is a person that gets sick a lot, you know, and this started from, from the time she was born, you know, she's got a pretty significant, uh, immune immunity, just autoimmune disorder thing. And, uh. I knew that going into the relationship and then, you know, um, there's, there was definitely a a caretaker role that I, I started in on that, you know, did start to weigh me down a bit. Um, I think that as her and I sort of moved forward in our, in our sobriety, we both kind of fell into this. It's called being like, like a dry alcoholic, meaning that you're sober, right. But you're not really, making a lot of like effort to be in, you know, program of recovery, you know, working on your spiritual growth and, and uh, connect and being of service to others. And, uh, you know, I think we both kind of identified that that was what was happening. And trying to make the shift out of that, I think there, a split started happening where I started moving in, in a direction. And although she was making an attempt to move there were a lot of times where she just wouldn't.
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it happens in a lot of relationships, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's just like a tree. Sometimes it branches off in different directions. Um, you, you're, you're, you need each other for a certain period of time and then the branch splits and (laughs) there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's fast forward now. So you decide, um, to launch your own recovery center. How, Like you, you go from several positions sort of in this world of helping people recover and what's the sort of self-talk it says, I'm ready to kind of go pro with this and launch, launch something, something special and unique that, uh, that, uh, you know, what's the self-talk? What's the, what's the discussion here? Are are there self-doubts? Are there, uh, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This is part of the sort of transformation story of Luke, right? Like, okay, I'm ready to start. I'm, I'm no longer acting. I've got purpose in my life, I've got meaning, I've got this sort of transformation that I'm experiencing. I'm assuming this is sort of part of the story. So tell us a little bit about right, how, right. That, how that, that transition happens. Yeah, I had been,
1: you know, an employee within the recovery industry working in, you know, residential treatment programs to working for a case management company. And uh, and, I, and to clarify, I didn't start a center, like a recovery center, but I started okay. my own services, you know, where I work, you know, doing like recovery type coaching to case management. And then I have people that work for me that do life skills building and mentoring. So it's, it's independent. No, it's, it's independent. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, uh, worked as hard as I could as an employee and I, my self-talk was kind of uh, for a long time. It was like, I'm a great number two. You know, like, um, you know, and the last person that I worked for, like, yeah, I was his, his number two, his right-hand man, you know, and he was the owner of this case management company. And, uh, eventually, you know, and I had talked to some people, it was like, why do you, why do you keep telling yourself that? <laughs> you know, like, and, uh, you know, I, I think I sort of thought that I wouldn't be able to handle the anxiety of being like an owner or, you know, the CEO, so to speak, of you know my own operation. Why do you think you were telling yourself that? Have you kind of? Oh, well, I mean, I do have you know, and have battled with uh, you know depression and anxiety for my entire life. Mm. So anxiety can be ex- for anybody, right? So I don't, you know, and and I experience crippling anxiety sometimes. So the idea of being the owner, right, or being the one completely responsible for, are we going to have money this month or not? You know, whereas I was so used to getting a paycheck twice a month, no matter what, like there's a security in that, that is, I think it's, it, I think that actually is what keeps people from actually taking a step onto pursuing their dream of being an entrepreneur
0: uh, or whatever, right? Like it's a security blanket and it feels good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no kidding. What. So, what gave you the courage? I mean, where did it, you've battled anxiety, your 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 and depression your whole life? You feel like a number two for some reason. That's the story you're telling yourself in your head. You're doing one of the most bravest, sort of courageous things anyone can do is to literally leave the security of that paycheck twice a month to go into the unknown. You have no clue what you're what you're stepping into. You have no clue if you're going to be able to pay the bills there's not many things that are more courageous than that. So how do you, how do you, how do you do that? I mean, what's, was there like a moment, did something happen that you just said, I, I just have to do this? Or you just said you know what, it's now or never? Like what, how did that go? Right. <laughs> um, uh, yeah.
1: And, and, you know, I think I had, uh, I mean, I had worked, I worked really hard. Like when I first started working in recovery as like an assistant, I was making like less than thirty grand a year, and I just busted my butt and continued to get raises until uh, you know the last guy that I worked for. I mean, I was making I was making six figures, you know, like one hundred twenty something like that. So that's a nice security blanket. <laughs> You know, nice. and, uh, I think I knew that like I, I was reaching a point, at least with my da- dynamics of working with him, where I didn't want to stay in that. Like there was definitely that was that was a tough relationship to kind of handle. Right. So there was an element of that that was helping me with kind of taking the leap. But I was I was like, I'm I'm, I'm ready to do this. I'm, and, and I call him up and I schedule a meeting to tell him. And this is interesting. I'm like kind of freaking out, right? Like, I'm going to tell him, I'm going to do it. And I'm in my car and I'm driving and I'm so just wrapped in my thoughts that I literally blow a red light and I hit a car right in the middle of. A, I, luckily, we, both of us were not going very fast, but this is like a major kind of collision, right? Oh my God. Pull over, exchange information. I'm like, my fault completely. You know what I mean? Like, let's, my car's still drivable. So I get in it. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, wait a minute. Is this this a sign? Is this God's way of telling me to slow down? You don't need to make this decision right now. Just, you know, hang tight, right? Like, you got a good paying job. Don't rush anything. Slow down. So that's my first thought is like, oh, maybe that's what it's saying. My next thought, though, was this is a sign from God. And she's asking are you ready to do this? Like, is something going to stop you from doing this? Are you going to go all the way here? Or is a little car accident going to slow you down? Here's the test, right? (laughs) Here is the test. Are you ready for anything? And I kind of went with that story. I like that one, (laughs) you know, and uh, I called him up like, Hey, I'm going to be a little late. Got an offender bender of sorts. My whole bumper's gone, by the way. <laughs> you know, and uh I remember I told him I'm done and and he was fine with me just leaving right then and there. Like he didn't say I offered to stay longer, you know, to help. He was like, No. And I felt a wave of relief followed by a rush of anxiety, you know, that just said, Oh my God, what am I gonna do? You know, I got spousal support, I got, you know, rent, I got this. How am I gonna even come up with any of that this month? You know, I just said I'm you know, I'm doing it. And and one way or the other, the universe is going to have my back and, and I'm going to get this done. When,
0: when was this that you launched this business?
1: This was April 15th, 2018. 2018. 2019. I'm sorry, 2019.
0: 2019. So we know the business is a big success. I mean, right out of the gates from sort of uh, chats with you before that, immediately it's it's sort of beyond your expectations and i know from from my chat with our sort of mutual yeah friend that that you've since launched um something else as well i believe
1: yeah so the the recovery business really kind of shot out and uh, uh i just i mean all the years that i kind of put leading up to that you know you, you don't realize the you know the intellectual property that you gain, the contacts that contacts that you gain, the network, and uh, you just—I made a few calls, and next thing you know, starts things start coming to me, and it, it's it's been it's been a pretty exciting ride. Have there been some dips? Yeah, you know what I mean, but that's to be expected, right? And uh, you know, just keep kind of riding those waves, and uh, it's really been fun, and and so it really opened up a whole. Just mindset of like, wow! Like, what else can I do? Like, this is pretty remarkable. And you know, I've always, I've always liked the idea of having an online business. You know, uh, something that you can do from anywhere in the world. And uh, and so I, I, there's a lot of different online businesses that are out there, and none of them have ever kind of caught my attention. But then I heard about one where you can become a publisher and publish you know, material that other people write and there's different platforms that you use. And I'm a big lover of books. Um, and so, uh, I basically learned how to start publishing, you know, books that are sold on, on Amazon and, uh, Barnes and Noble and, and things like that.
0: Well, we're going to get into books too, before we, before we end this conversation, but Taking a little, a little step back, Mm -hmm. I don't mean to get, go back to the, to the deep end here, but I do want to sort of touch upon, uh, your brother again. Yeah. So your brother passes away suddenly in 2017, I believe. And you have this marriage that's suffering uh, probably around this time. You, you say you, you, um, the divorce was about two years ago. So probably around this time, how like Obviously, this affects you you deeply. This is your your hero. This is somebody who's very very important to you in your life. There's just no way it can affect you. But more specifically, like I guess what I want to ask is, how much is your brother with you in this journey? This sort of transformative journey. Do you hear his voice? Do you hear? Do you talk to him? Kind of does he? Do you kind of think sometimes like is he's with you on on this whole process? Like encouraging you, saying "I got you." Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a, a-
1: there's a yes and slight no, and I'll, I'll clarify what I mean by that, but definitely the, what I can't, it, it painful as it is, right, and, and it was just such a shock, right, in passing. And what's interesting about going through grief, and I've never experienced grief before, like to that level, right, and something happened where this inner strength that I didn't know that I had somehow emerged. Um, and I was able to show up for my family in ways that nobody really saw coming, <laughs> you know. Especially Kelsey, my my sister in law, who I'm very close with. Just me being able to show up for for the kids. And uh, I, I, you know, yeah, I was in a at that point. You know, the marriage was was definitely um, I had been unhappy for three years. You know, but just too scared to leave. Definitely, I was unhappy in my job. Right. And when he passed, you know, there there was definitely like this realization that started to happen where, you know, it sounds, it may sound cliche, but you know, it's true. It's just like, wow, like life is this precious thing. Right. And we don't have it forever, (laughs) you know? And, uh, like what, what do you want? Like while you're, while you're here, You know, and at that time, I was a I was a caretaker for for my wife. Right, Uh, she was really sick a lot at that point too. I I was I felt almost like a slave in my in my job. I mean, I just I was miserable all the time. If you had asked me, Luke, what do you do for fun? Because I've I I had someone ask me that around that before my brother passed away, and I literally would not know how to answer. Hmm. So when he passed, and kind of having that realization that ended up giving me strength to go forward with the divorce of my wife, which was very painful. And then it also gave me the strength to, to say, you know, I don't, I don't want to work for this, this person anymore. You know, I want to do this on my own. So from that aspect, yes, you know, he's there. And, and uh, I, uh, I mean, you know, think about him every single day throughout the day. Um, and that probably will never change. There is a there's definitely a a, this pain that's there that I know is never gonna go away. And what's weird is like I don't I almost don't want it to go away. There's there's it's the strangest thing. It's like I when I'm feeling it, it, as hard as it is, I do feel a closeness to my brother. So there's it's like this sweet, like bittersweet thing. But at the same time I can't not deny where I'm at in life right now is such a better place, you know, and and you know, you can't deny that that this does happen. You know, there are some gifts that came from going through this.
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny that you when you were talking about your car crash, my thought was sort of a little bit different. It's like this is a sign that life is short. Hmm. A couple more feet or a couple of feet this way or that way, you both could have been dead. And maybe it's less of a sign from God and more of almost like your brother. Right. <laughs> Reminding right. you life is short, dude. Yeah. You got this. Yeah. It's, I don't know. No, don't mean to kind of get into the whole you know, no, deep, no. Deep spiritual, but
1: no, you're right. And, and it's interesting because I have a strange relationship with that, right? Like absolutely. You know, the, the signs, I know my, my sister-in-law, she, she sees them all the time and she believes in that. And, I, it's weird. The, the one thing that I know sometimes I I do I don't know if I struggle with or I just I have a sadness around because I don't I'm not a hundred percent clear like you know what happens to someone when they die. So sometimes I'm like cause I live now on the beach, an area where I've always visualized myself wanting to live, and it will be like a Tuesday in the afternoon, and I have other people that are working for me, right, making money, and and like I'm sitting on the beach, and. You know, it's like this rush of like, this is so amazing. And then there's been times where I've literally broke down and started crying, just wondering, like, does my brother see me? Because mm-hmm. he would be so proud of me and like so happy for me. You know, the, the one thing that, that, that's really, you know, great is like, I know how much he loved me. And I know how much he was a, a part of me getting sober, you know, uh, when he said, "I'll help you one more time," the rest of my family was like, "We're done," <laughs> you know. Like, that's it. He was. He kind of hung
0: in there, just, just know, enough.
1: Just enough. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, it's uh, that whole uh, sort of spiritual questions about about what happens when we go and all these things. It's I don't know the first thing about it either. But yeah. I, I could tell you that whether he is watching over or not, he's in you, right? I mean, you you yeah. you feel it still, so it's whether it's all sort of in our head or not. I mean, whether we're living in a, in a simulation or otherwise, it's, it's, it's still real because it's real to you. So he's very um, present. Yeah, for sure. Now, thank you for sharing all that, um, you know, and, and your, your whole story here. Let's, Let's sort of move to the more of now we're kind of getting closer to the end of our conversation. And I wanted to talk a little bit more about sort of the, the transformation. So you, you've launched your own business. You know, you've launched a couple of different businesses, a couple of things that you're passionate about. You live on the beach. Things are going great. You are doing things that you love. You are doing things that sort of help others that are, that are meaningful to you. And you're starting to come into this place where for the next, decade you're so excited you know you're when you're turning 40 is exciting to you as opposed to a uh, holy shit I'm turning 40 right. um, so in the name of this podcast right is living a full life right so you're you've gone through this incredible transformation you're starting to you, you're just at like almost really the beginning of this transformative part of your life where you're so excited to live this next year's what does the next 10 years potentially look like for you? Like, do you, what are, do you have plans? Do you have a bucket list? Do you have like, are there certain things that, that you have to check off or are you kind of just going with the flow now? Um, <clears throat> so I, I it, it's interesting that
1: this past um, October or September of last year, right. I went to Italy and uh, that was the first time I'd ever been outside of North America. Meaning, I've been, you know, I've been to Canada, I've been to, to Mexico, but uh, never outside of, of this continent. And uh, that really sparked like this strong desire, like I really want to travel the world, you know. And it's interesting; I, I finally get the, the the courage to like do it, right? And now this it and it's like we can't travel. <laughs> yeah.
0: You got to do the staycation idea, right?
1: Right, um, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> I do think that, you know, we're going to get through this. Right. And I, and I do believe that we will be able to, you know, to travel and that that's something that I I really want to do a lot more of. I I want to, you know, experience new cultures, right. And new people. So the next 10 years, I, I see, I see more experiences of that. I, 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 visualize, I want to experience some more luxury in my life. Right. Or luxury type experiences. And I, I really want to make sure that I'm being an amazing role model for my niece and nephew and helping them, you know, they're, they're, they're at an interesting age, you know, my nephew's 15, my niece is 13, and uh, they're both doing fantastic considering, but I play a, a bigger role in their lives than, than I had be- before. That's for sure. I want to live uh, directly on the beach. Like I can see the beach right now as we're doing this podcast. (laughs) But There is a uh, alleyway, if you will, um, a little side road that blocks me. So I want to actually live right on the beach. (laughs) Um, And and I want, you know, I I did launch the online business um, and that I've finally gotten it to a point where it's sort of breaking even um, or close to that. But I'd like that to be wildly successful um, as well.
0: That's very cool. Actually, I want to offline, I want to talk to you a little bit about that because I've I've heard about that a couple times, and I'm just it's curious. I want to I want to learn a little bit more about sure. that. Let's let let that go into books. Um, you're a big lover of books.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, you did you did talk to me yesterday on our, our brief chat about um, about Creator by Steve Chandler.
1: Yeah. But
0: are there are there besides uh, that? And maybe you want to talk about that one. What are the sort of to steal a question from Tim Ferriss, what are the sort of books that you gift the most or are the ones that are more most meaningful for, to you? You could sort of take that in in any way you want. Yeah, no, that's a great
1: question. Um, I love that. So the the two books, I, well, I know that there's two that I've, been, uh, I've gifted already many times. In fact, a, <laughs> one of them is Creator by Steve Chandler. And the other one is The Big Leap by mm. A. Hendricks. And uh those two books specifically, I mean, especially the big leap, I-, I would say uh made an enormous impact for me.
0: Yeah, the big leap, I've read that as well. That's that's uh sort of just our our upper limits of what we allow ourselves to to feel. Did you like of, it? Uh, I you know, I it didn't have as in the same impact on me as it as it did on you and, and probably as it did on a lot of people. I I struggled with like I understood the concept of yeah. limiting our our sort of levels of happiness, but then there were sort of parts of me where I was like, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can get where he is where it's just like all in your head and you're just we're just uh, kicking ourselves down all the time. but I did enjoy it, and I from what I know of him, like he really lives that life. Yeah. Um, he's an authentic guy. So but I'm excited to kind of check out Creator. We, we were talking about that uh, yesterday and how you can create the life that you that you want.
1: That, yeah, that there is there is an unlimited amount of potential right, that you can tap into around this idea of creating and creating what you want out of life, creating the kind of experiences you want to have. Um, and that book was the first time I, I really kind of, someone had phrased it in the way that he does. And Steve Chandler, is a, I think he's a great writer. He's very simple in his writing, yet Mm -hmm. he's talking about these big things, but he makes it so easy to kind of like understand, which is why I appreciate him. And, you know, you can power through that book in easily a day or two. Um, But it's got it's got so much sauce to it. You know what I mean?
0: (laughs) Yeah, he's he's I never heard of him before. And Sarah, of course, uh, introduced me to him, I'm sure she did with you. And there's been a couple of small things that I've listened to him from some of his audio, which. I'm sure his books are a little better than his audio. His audio is pretty dry, but, right. but um, yeah, I mean, some, some little things just so, so simply explained. Uh, he talks about when I was like thinking about doing this podcast and kind of going through the self-talk of, of all that, the sort of intimate things I was going to share on here and all these things sort of, he he has this really great example of when you're a kid, right? You, you get on a bike, you're not really thinking about like anything other than I'm just going to try. I'm just going to try yeah. this and I'm going to try again. I'm going to fall. I'm going to try again. And then all of a sudden you're riding a bike. But when we're as adults, we're like, we're so, we, we handcuff ourselves so much by all the fear that yeah. we won't even get on the bike. Like we won't even try. And he's like, just try it. Like what's the worst that's going to happen? <laughs> just well, I, I, I think too. We also, I
1: think, you know, we live in this culture that has this negativity around failure. Right. And, uh, Certainly, the, the the school system doesn't help with, with with this because you know it's like you have the grades, you know, you pass, you fail, and if you fail, you know, what I mean, you get detention, and it. We learn so much from our failures, right? They're they're really like these amazing gifts that are given to us, you know, and. I mean, obviously give the kid detention if he's not trying, but if someone's really trying, you know what I mean? And they fail, like, well, I don't understand how that's a bad thing. Like, you know, they've learned mm-hmm. like, in the process
0: and uh, same with riding a bike, right? Like, you know,
1: you're going to, you're going to fall off
0: that thing. And you, know? you don't, you don't really learn too much from your successes. No,
1: no. Yeah. Not at all.
0: So I, I, I feel like if
1: you're not, if you're not failing, right. Or, Or even like with goals, right? Like if you're setting goals and you're hitting every single one of them, you need to set bigger goals. Like like if I'm reaching all my goals, like I, I'm like, damn, I'm selling myself short. Like I'd rather strive for, you know what I mean, like that next level and miss, but at least strive for it because maybe I would have gotten, maybe I get farther that way.
0: That's a great point. We talked about this a little bit yesterday too, just so I prompted you with this. But what? What does full life living mean to you? What does it mean to live a full life to you? So that's how you worded it. I was thinking
1: <laughs> the exact question that he had—the big one, <laughs> a really good one. Basically, I mean, when you think about it, you, you know, Greg, you are sort of asking like, "Well, I—I I, I don't know. I kind of hear that. It's like, well, what's the meaning of life? <laughs> <laughs> In some ways, yes. In some ways, kind of. Yeah. um, And I think right that going back to sort of the growth mindset right but being in a consistent state of constantly learning right just learning as much as you can grow as much as you can and while you're doing that help someone else do the same you know like i don't think it needs to be like more complex than that i think that okay. that when you're when you're in both of those mindsets of growing learning certainly gratitude mindset but learning as much as you can and then being a service to someone else you're going to be a happy person and i love when i get into kind of a groove like that you know and then sometimes i go back to that what you like to call the default right mode and, and that kind of always sucks but you know it <laughs> does take work to get to you know what i was just saying but to me that would be
0: living you know a full life. That's amazing. Thank you for that. That so you see, you did touch on the default mode, and that's another question I like to ask. When you do, sort of, I guess, default back, or when you fall backwards, or when you when you sort of maybe get lost on the way, where you kind of you kind of forget about this, or you stuff happens, and you're you, you're not you're not living this this sort of life that you that you want, because um, we all sort of fall back from time to time, right? I mean, it doesn't mean you fall. That all the way down the well, but you just kind of take a step backwards. But how do you do? You like what do you do to sort of be mindful of that? And is there is there anything that you specifically do to kind of just push yourself back in the other in, in the right direction, take another step forward?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I go back to it quite a bit, and when I'm in it, 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 like I said, it it does suck, and sometimes you don't realize you're in it until you're really in it, and then mm-hmm. the amount of work it takes to kind of get back you know, is, it's tough too. And it, and I think you and I kind of, I think you had mentioned something about this. It, it's interesting because when I'm trying to get out of it, it's almost like I start like grinding to get out of it. You know what I mean? And and that actually makes it worse, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, there's, the, there's the resistance that's involved in that. So, you know, I, I think what helps me, right? And, and bear with me here, because I'm just going to kind of tell you a little story. Okay, but this mm, is We'll bring it all together. All right. There's a story of it, it happens to be an alcoholic on a rowboat. It's alcoholics on a rowboat. Now, if you've ever been on a rowboat, you know that your back is to the front. So he gets in it, grabs the oars, and he starts rowing. He starts rowing. Boat starts moving. And as he's rowing, God starts steering. And he's rowing and he's rowing and God's steering and, and he's rowing he's rowing really hard at this point right so the boat's really moving and he looks up and he sees where he's going and 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 he likes it i mean it looks really great it's big it's it's everything it's like amazing right so he he's rowing even harder and God's steering and he lifts his head up again he's like god this is so amazing he, he he stops rowing for a second looks up at god and says hey god this is amazing i'm going to try steering god says Go right ahead, but I don't row. And let that sink in because when you think about it, like what I realize is that there's so many times in my life I'm so focused on trying to steer the boat and I don't go anywhere. I get like, mm-hmm. like you know, just in my head and it's like this loop of me trying to control and steer and just slow down. Like, remember, just can row the thing. You know, it's really, really simple, just row. And and the way that I've kind of learned how to row is it's all about a present, being present, right? And just saying, all right, today, what do I got to do to be a stand-up guy with integrity, and do the right thing, treat other people well, you know, and just worry about doing that today. And I can look back over the last, you know, 11 years and I can clearly see where I was rowing and where I was trying to steer, you know, and, uh. When I get into that default mode and I realize, oh, man, I'm really in it, if I can kind of slow my mind down a little bit and just say, you know what, let me just think about today of like, how can I be a good person today? (laughs) Like, how can I do, how can I, you know, take one step closer to God, right? Like, how can I be the best version of myself just today? Let me just focus on that. And if I get consecutive days doing that, I'm back rowing. And I got big homie in the sky steering. And uh, it's just amazing how the places I go when I do that.
0: That's an awesome, awesome story. Is that a good story? It's it's so good. And it's it's so much better than the one I've been telling myself, which is like <laughs> the way I vision in my head is I've picked this mountain that I'm trying to go to and traverse. And sometimes I wake up and instead of taking a step towards it, I just I circle around like a little you know i just keep circling around the same track thinking i'm moving forward towards the mountain but i'm circling around a little forest or something like that i'm just walking around that's my whole life right i'm just walking around this pretty little forest and thinking i'm walking to the mountain but i i'm deluded myself and then you know i wake up and i go holy crap no no no! i just got to take a step forward i just got to take a step forward each day i just got to put one foot in front of the yeah. other but you're i like your story much much better <laughs>
1: But that's (laughs) as good as well, you know, getting to the mountain, you know what I mean? There really is no way up over it, right?
0: Hobbies. You live by the beach. Do you have, you know, specific hobbies that are important in your life that, uh, that sort of make your life fuller, like surfing or something? Absolutely. So pretty much anything beach related, you know,
1: definitely contributes to my overall, I think, happiness in life, right? So surfing's a big thing, but just even swimming, in the ocean to sitting on the beach, reading on the beach. I, I mean, I just I love being down by,
0: you know, w- you know, where I live,
1: walking on the beach, all that stuff. So that's a big thing. Um, reading, if it's not on the beach, just reading in general is, is a big thing for me. I really enjoy doing that. I'm trying to think of other hobbies, jo- uh, jogging. I mean, I like to exercise and jogging is one of those things that, you know, I kind of get into, I mean, I don't know if that's worth talking about, but.
0: Yeah. Point. One, one of the things that, that I personally feel like not necessarily gives me joy, but helps in living a, you know, being the best version of myself is exercise. And not, and not that I'm, I'm not like a person that there are some people that are, I don't know, they just love exercise. I don't really love it. I, I, I do it because I think it's important for energy levels, important so that yeah. I can pick up my kids, important so that I can walk yeah. up the stairs so that I'm winded. Um, and then just important from a longevity standpoint. You're a fairly fit guy. Like, how do you feel like, do you, how does exercise fit into your life? Just, is it, you know, how, is it something that you do every day?
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's definitely a, a source of medicine, you know, for me. And I, I learned that pretty, pretty quickly just in sobriety that not necessarily every day, but certainly five to six times a week, you know, getting up. And the first thing I do, you know, is, is some type of exercise, gives me, like you said, like I have energy for the day. Um, It helps ground my anxiety. You know, exercise goes way past this point of vanity, right? Like, yeah, it's nice that, you know, it can make you look good. You know what I mean? But it, it becomes the motivating factor actually is less about vanity and more about how do I want to feel today, you know, and what's going to give me the best, you know, uh, the optimal state of how I want to feel, and usually that's for me exercising, especially first thing in the morning.
0: Yeah, such a uh, Sarah asked the same question, which was pretty f- profound to me. Which is something I, I, I don't really think too much about. But how do I want to feel today? It's such a such a simple, powerful sort of question that you can ask yourself every morning. Yeah. Like, how do I want to feel today? Yeah, it it should start your day off with a hard workout because how do you want to feel? You right. Feel good, right? <laughs> energized and yeah, yeah. Grounded. I don't want to feel sluggish and terrible. I want energy. I want to feel yeah. you know, I wanna I wanna feel joy and happy and yeah, so we've gosh, we've covered it all, I think. We we've gone through um we've gone through it all. I have some other smaller questions like meditation. Do you meditate? Every day. Every day. First thing in the morning. I'll admit, all right, this is
1: I drink a, a large cup of coffee first thing in the morning and then I meditate
0: right after. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll fall asleep if you don't have a <laughs> And then how long do you meditate for? 20 minutes. Is it uh, transcendental or is it transcendental? Do so you do it in the morning and at night?
1: I don't always do it in the night. I do it every morning and I feel great about that. When I do something at night, though, I, I usually won't do a transcendental. I'll usually actually treat myself to a little guided meditation. You know, I'll put the earphones in and, and listen to a little something that you know, it feels good, but the morning is just about complete silence, focusing on the breath, observing the thoughts, things like that.
0: I've never done TM. I've always, I've heard obviously a lot of people do it. I mean, I'm a fan of Howard Stern and and all you know, and, and Seinfeld and all these people, all these sort of sort of big important uh, high achievers that that do TM and. But I've always like looked at it. And I'm like, oh god, this is weird. Like, I gotta, I gotta get somebody who's a TM expert come train me on this. It's like a grand or something like that. It's like, I don't know. This feels w- weird. Have you tried other forms of meditation? And why is it that T- why is it that TM is the sort of one that you choose? Yeah, I mean,
1: and I'm horrible at necessarily some of the other like the names of the uh, of the other ones, but a lot of different. There's the guided meditations. There's the, the, om meditation, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, yeah I've, I, I've tried, I've tried a lot of those. I, I think it was like 2015. I read Dan Harris's book, 10% happier. And mm-hmm. before that, I only heard about meditation and maybe tried it a handful of times, but never really. And when I read that book, he talks a lot about TM and just meditation, you know, in, in general. And, uh, I read that and I've meditated just about every single day since I read that book. And for me, when I read the book, it was saying that that form of, of meditation, the transcendental meditation has been shown to have the best mm. outcomes for kind of grounding anxiety and stuff like that. So in my mind, I'm like, well, I want to go for the best, right? right. <laughs> you
0: know,
1: yeah. Why fish around? Like I say, it's the best I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Makes so, sense. You know, I, I did, I started doing that and, you know, you, I mean, you notice something right away. And what's interesting is not right away, but for me, it was like a few days in or a week in. I started noticing some changes. What's interesting though, is that when you're, when you're doing it, like every single day, you get a new baseline, right? So you won't necessarily notice that it's doing anything unless you stop doing it. And that's happened mm-hmm. a couple of times where, I've stopped. And like, after like the third day, then I start noticing I'm not feeling right. Like my anxiety is up. Um,
0: I'm less organized. Like it's, it's a trip. Wow. Yeah. You've taken a role of being in your niece and nephew's life more. Has that, are, are, do you have, do you plan on having children at some point? I know Sarah mentioned you're, you're in a, in a relationship and And, um, it sounds like it's a very, very good one. Maybe you you, if you want to talk about that, we can, but are are kids in the future or have you sort of taken the role of, of, uh, really just being as much of a, of guiding figure for your niece and nephew? And is that, how important is that for you?
1: Right. So no, I don't, I don't want to have children, you know, and I've not wanted to have children. Like that's sort of always been kind of my, my thought, you know, looked into like, well, what are the reasons for that? There's definitely some things in there, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, I see what it looks like when you guys have kids. It's like, Jesus. I want that? <laughs> it's, it's, it's beautiful and rough at the same time. Right. But what's interesting is, is that, you know, when my brother passed the, there was a, this overwhelming emotion and of utter concern of like, oh my God, are the kids going to be okay? Mm it hits you like the next day after you, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it doesn't like, come on like later on, like for me, it, like it's so, so hard and to get to show up for them, you know, is, has been really a, an honor. Uh, and uh, it, it does make me sort of wonder, like there's clearly like almost like this reason why I didn't want to have kids, you know, like, cause yeah. I'm getting a chance to show up for these two. I don't know if I'd be able to have given the time if i had you know my own kids um especially that first year you know just having a male person in their life you, you know what i mean like during that first year after after he passed was just so important um i was there a lot i should say you know
0: do you think that has had a, a sort of positive impact on your life in terms of your your level of happiness your your level of living your fuller life just uh, sort of being involved in people, people's lives who, who, who maybe you didn't expect it but, but need you in a caretaker role. Yeah,
1: no, I, I, I would agree um, that it, 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 I benefited or I benefit from doing that, feeling that, first of all, feeling the, the connection to them and, and uh, getting to experience them in a different capacity than I was when I was just their uncle. And, uh, yeah, it feels, it feels good
0: yeah i mean it's i mean it it is what you what you said right constant learning constantly growing that growth mindset and then helping others do the same it sort of goes hand yeah. in hand with with children too it doesn't really matter who you're taking care of it's, it maybe it's maybe it's uh you know the people at 10 west maybe that you know that really need your your help and your guidance maybe it's your your niece and your nephew but it just seems like uh part of your part of your life mantra there is constant learning growth and then helping others that, that need the help. Right. So, it's and, pretty cool. And, and
1: I, and I appreciate that. And I also, I do recognize I, there's gotta be room for me to do, be of service outside of the job, outside of my job. Right. So mm. it can, I, for me, it can't just be, well, my career is helping or my, you know, what I do for a living, is helping others. Like, Great. And that's amazing that I get that opportunity. But I do believe that if you're in an industry where it's not necessarily about that, there are still so many avenues of how you can still be of service, even within the work industry that you're in, whether it's with colleagues or or anything like that. So the direct clients that I work with, yes, that's amazing. I get to do that. But I enjoy when I get to help the people that, that work for me, right? Like when I get to be in a different role with them where I'm, I'm helping them, you know, try and reach their best versions of themselves, you know, mm, as a leader. Yeah. And, and, and doing that then, you know, with whomever outside of, you know, the outside of work, I, you know, it's, it's, I think it's important. Helping
0: others launch podcasts.
1: There we <laughs> go. Look at that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome. Luke, uh, we've gone on, uh, we've definitely gone a little over, um, and I appreciate your sort of flexibility. This has just been, it's been, this has been awesome. It's been That's fantastic. Been I, you know, kind of, I, I mean, when you think
1: about it, we've gotten over 90 minutes. My phone is upside down. I have no idea what's going on. I don't care. I've been in a great conversation, you know, with you. Like I, I feel, I feel served. So thank I, you.
0: I feel, I feel the same way. And I, you know, before I, before I sort of sit down to do this type of thing, I sit for a second in probably what, you know, you would call like a gratitude meditation, right? Where I just sit and go. I'm so grateful for the gift of being alive. Like it's just so bizarre to even be born, right? right. Like all the crap that happened, the terraforming of this planet, the, all the little, you know, amphibians and this shit that, that happened before you, all yeah. the primates, all the, you know, all the uh, the heartache and the war and the famine and all this, and then, you know, for your parents to have met and then you just to be born is a freaking miracle. Right. <laughs> and then to be here, and to take this gift and to do this very human thing which is have a conversation and share stories is just remarkably special it doesn't it doesn't always seem that way or feel that way but it is so remarkably special yeah. and i come away from every one of these conversations that i've had so far just feeling that deep gratitude for for being alive yeah and for just getting be, being being human being able to have being social and share these conversations especially in this time where being social is a little bit more challenging. (laughs) For
1: sure. No, no, this has been great. I think that you, uh, I'm I'm really impressed with just the questions that you asked, but also the way, now that I'm thinking about it, the way you kind of took me through my story. You did it in a really like, you know, cool way where I wasn't necessarily bouncing all over the place to try and give context to something you know like no we already covered that part like you know I'm, I'm just I'm impressed and your research too like I, that's, <laughs> that was awesome you knew
0: that I was the SCD fairy you know
1: acting classes that my brother played yeah, that's pretty cool
0: so well um, you know uh, the internet helps with that and right. <laughs> um, and there really is uh, six degrees of separation That that's like a real thing so but no I, I appreciate your comments and your compliments uh, th- this is something I'm just uh, you know kind of format I'm still learning so, you know, I, I appreciate it. And I hopefully the people that listen get as much out of this conversation as I think both you and I did. So I really I really appreciate you. No, thank you. I appreciate you. All right, Luke. Well, I hope we get to do this again sometime. Yes. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to help support it, the best way to do so is to leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Not only do I read every one of them, but... Leaving a review will hopefully help increase the visibility of the podcast, which means that it will help reach other listeners that are also trying to discover what it means to live a full life. Additionally, part of the reason for creating the podcast was to start a conversation with others around the world. So if you'd like to connect, please visit me at gregberard.com. That's G-R-E-G-B-E-R-A-R-D.com and sign up for my newsletter. Not only will you be up to date on the latest podcasts and guests, but you'll also receive my personal blog shared resources, and other media that I plan on releasing over time. The email you receive will also come from my personal email address, so I'm happy to have a dialogue personally by responding directly. Lastly, I'd love to connect with you on Twitter and Instagram, and all my social handles are available on my website, gregberard.com. Thanks for listening.